The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all well. Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be continuing to react to those Incredible scenes at Emirates Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Uh, we're going to be talking about the rest of the Premier League action. Uh, we are going to be discussing the news that the FA are investigating Arsenal's celebration. I mean, you couldn't make it up, could you? What a load of absolute nonsense. We'll be bringing you the latest on Leandro Trossard's injury and we'll be taking some of your thoughts, as always, from the live chat box. Uh, please, uh, if you are new to the channel, make sure that you're subscribed. If you are joining us uh, live, then please do leave a like on the video. If you're watching this after, you should leave a like too. And if you're listening on the audio platforms, then please do leave us a review also. It really, really does help. Uh, big hello uh, to those of you with us now. Sko uh, is here. Um so what I did when I set up this stream earlier today was set it for the wrong time initially, right? So I set it for something like, I don't know what I set it for. I was meant to set it for 5.30 and I think I sent it for, set it for 3.30 or something like that by accident. Um, and Sko said earlier on when he popped into the chat then, uh, notification said it was going to be in five minutes and now it's in 105 minutes. My apologies, mate. Um, it was my mistake. Uh, I, I don't know what got into me. I must have been doing something else at the same time. Uh, and uh, and switched off for a minute. But yeah, anyway, we're here now. We're live now. Um, so uh, apologies for having you wait there for 105 minutes uh, for the stream to start. Big hello to Afsar, who says evening all just proud of Reese Nelson. And our fans just don't seem to rate him. Oh, we'll get into that. That's a that's an interesting debate. Let me make a note of that. Reese Nelson. Do we rate him? We'll get into that a little bit later on in the show a uh, big hello to steve who's with us as well uh, barry's here uh, scott's here des is here nav's here uh, robert says if harry ran a restaurant he'd probably close for lunch uh, mate i'm greek so if i ran a restaurant i'd be closed i'd be definitely closed at lunch and i'd be sleeping at lunchtime <laughs> that's the way we roll um but yeah I, i'm always late but we always set the stream for early you know that's what we do gets people to tune in before we actually go live a uh, big hello to temi who says he's in seventh heaven we'll get into all of that as well of course manchester united dismantled by liverpool at anfield yesterday a uh, big hello to patrick to wilson to chris uh, to the wandering minstrel and to david as well um right let's get into it then i mean i'm still on cloud nine uh from what happened on saturday i, I really really am i i've sort of read a lot of reaction online from sort of other club supporters and people that are maybe neutral in the situation, spoken to colleagues today. And, and the general consensus seems to be, well, yeah, it was a, a nice moment. And yeah, it was a dramatic end and finish to a game. But the celebrations were a little bit over the top, considering it was Bournemouth at home. 
And actually, in a weird way, the fact it was Bournemouth at home contributed to those celebrations being bigger, but not because of what why you think it did. So it wasn't because, um, you know, it wasn't because we'd beaten Bournemouth. It was because this was a game that in the context of the title race, we absolutely had to win. You know, this was the game where if Arsenal dropped points and Manchester City managed to close the gap, people would say, well, you know, you can go to Everton after Sean Dyche has just taken over and you can easily slip up. You can play against a Brentford side who are knocking on the door of the European places, have an off day, the VAR have an off day too, and drop points. You can easily get beaten by Manchester City because we know what an incredible side they've been um, over the last few years, you know. So, all of those you could look at and you could say, well, it happens. Bournemouth at home, a team 19th in the division, that's not a game that you can drop points in. And to be in the position that we were in, two goals down, uh, and to come back to 2-2 with still around about 20 minutes plus stoppage time to go, feel like, yet yeah, there's plenty of time to go on and win the game. Not manage to do it within the 90 it did feel like this was a big opportunity missed. I started to feel a little bit deflated at that point. And I have to be honest, I didn't see that goal coming in the 97th minute. I really, really didn't. Um, so that's why we celebrated it the way that we did. That's why it meant so much. The The sort of fact that the stadium, you know, there were a few people that sneaked out before. I, I mentioned that on the show yesterday, but the fact that the stadium mainly, uh, for the most part, was still packed was... Um, was testament to the fact that the fans now believe in this group and in this manager and in this team and their never say die attitude. So, yeah, I mean, you got to enjoy these moments. That's what football's all about. I mean, the outpouring of emotion was just incredible. And when you look at that picture, especially the one that's going around of how everybody reacted at the moment the ball hit the back of the net, you know, Saliba runs off to the corner. I guess thinking that everybody else was going to go over there and celebrate Reese Nelson kind of being so chilled at uh, Martin Odegaard on the far side, sort of dropping to the ground, Ben White with his shithousery. Like there was, there's so many pick, there's so many things you can pick out from that picture. And that picture tells a, a, a really great story, doesn't it? So that's why people have enjoyed it. People have enjoyed the reaction online. Um, the memes, the the clips going around, the compilations, all of that stuff is a big part now of how we consume football. You know, back in the day, it wasn't. Back in the day, you'd pick up the newspaper the next day, you'd read all about it. Maybe you'd get a story on teletext. But football is consumed in a very different way now, and it's constant. And it is, there's so many forms in which you can produce content around this sport nowadays that people are constantly reliving that moment. And that's why Arsenal fans are walking around today and probably will be walking around tomorrow and in the days to come with a massive smile on their faces because that really was a special, special moment. So to then learn today that the FA are investigating um, our goal celebration, it, it, you know what? Like, I think I tweeted something along the lines of, and this tweet, right, it, it probably doesn't even make sense. Um, I think I said, what did I put if I can find it? Hold on. I said something along the lines of, Actually, let me just find it before I get it horribly wrong. But it, it doesn't really make sense. But I said unbelievable, yet unsurprising at the same time. Can something be unbelievable and unsurprising at the same time? I don't know, but this can. Because you just always feel like with Arsenal, we're always around the corner um, from the FA coming down on us about something. 
we're always just around the corner from them getting their being a bonnet or, or you know just getting wound up or irritated or, or feeling that they need to make themselves relevant by taking some kind of action take that out of football and football is nothing football is built on those moments the reason that people are so engaged with football and the reason that people have it in their hearts and have it as in a lot of cases the epicenter of everything they do is because it is capable of producing moments and feelings like that and if you want to stop people uh, from enjoying those moments then I, I don't know what to say you know people will argue that you know people ran on the pitch that shouldn't have ran on the pitch staff shouldn't have gone on the pitch um substitutes shouldn't have gone on the pitch but these things happen and and it's so not a big deal nobody got hurt nobody got injured nobody come away with it even thinking about the potential of an fa punishment or an fa investigation around this and if the fa do go ahead and punish arsenal for this then it proves what we as a fan base have been saying all season that the fa the PGMOL, the lot of them, they ain't got a bloody clue what they're doing. And instead of focusing all their energy on improving the standard of officiating, which is absolutely shocking, they they spend their time worrying about how Arsenal celebrate a massive goal in the title race. Why don't they worry about the two penalties, at least at minimum, that Arsenal should have had? Why don't they worry about the fact that Brentford had three, uh, Brentford, Bournemouth, I beg your pardon, had three players in our half when they kicked off and then went on to score from that. Those are the things that the FA and the PGMOL should be worried about. Clean your own house up first, get your own shit in order, and then you can talk about Arsenal and you can get involved in situations involving us. This is just, you know, if if their, if, if their end of things was perfect, then I would go, okay, look, technically people shouldn't run on the pitch. I kind of don't like it, but I understand it. And as a football club, we'll take it on the chin because that was a special moment and you can't ever, or you can't replicate those things, right? They're in the moment, they happen. Uh, There's something beautiful about those moments. We'll take it on the chin as a football club. But it just astounds me that a couple of organisations who are just so detached from what they're actually supposed to be doing, whose priorities are all wrong week in, week out, and they should be focusing on cleaning up their own house and getting their own shit in order. I'm supp- I don't understand how they even have the time to investigate this. And this is being investigated, according to the report, because Cavanagh, uh, the referee, who was in charge at the weekend, reported uh, this incident, reported Arsenal uh, to the FA. What a job's worth. What an absolute job's worth. Uh, unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. You know what? The more they hate us, the more they come for us, the more they they push us all together, the more they unite us, because this feels like the old Arsenal again, not just in the sense of how we're performing on the pitch and the results that we're getting, but in terms of the unity. For years, there was a huge, huge divide at Arsenal Football Club for a number of reasons. It was the manager, it was the ownership, it was the Super League. There were so many things that were dividing us and pulling us apart um you know question marks over key players were they good enough are they good enough or not should we have signed them did we pay too much money for them who's making decisions around transfers is the top four finishing in the top four is that as important as winning a trophy there was there's been so many debates arguments things that have kind of driven us apart as a fan base this kind of stuff i don't care if arsenal um you know i I don't care if um 
Arsenal want to... Um, I don't care if Arsenal pick up fines every week for this. Honestly, I don't. Um, I don't. Um, let's go into the comments and see what you guys um, are saying. Uh, Steve says, sorry, Harry, I have to uh, respectfully disagree. We have to stay off the pitch. We have to set an example. Listen, I, again, I, as I've said, if the PGMOL and the FA had all their stuff in order and had time to be focusing on things like this, then I wouldn't have as big an issue with them coming over and saying, look, Arsenal, um, you know, you you crossed the line here. We've got to take some action. Otherwise, we're setting a dangerous precedent. Absolutely fine by me. But the issue that should be being investigated off the back of that game is not Arsenal substitutes running on the pitch or or, or anything like that. The issue that should be investigated is the fact that the referee had a shocking game and that's been completely swept under the carpet because Arsenal went on to win the game anyway. But that should be looked at. The fact that the VAR sits there with 20, 30 screens in front of them and still can't make the right decisions is even more concerning than the performance of someone like Chris Kavanaugh on the pitch. Get their own, get your own house in order and then you can start tackling other issues. But there's no respect for the FA. There's no respect for the officials at the moment because they have proven themselves to be incompetent in their jobs. So then when they try and take swipes at people and when they try and take actions against things that, to me, are, you know, not really that important. I mean, can you think of a single person that came away from the Emirates Stadium on Saturday and thought, oh my God, Arsenal crossed the line in the way that they celebrated that goal? Not even any of the neutral pundits, so not even the match of the day pundits, the Sky pundits, anybody that was covering the game. Nobody suggested that that was an issue. Nobody even thought of it. Everybody just was taken aback by the moment and enjoyed the moment. And what these guys are seeking to do now is to take away from that. And that's all good if there aren't bigger issues that you need to address first. And the issues that they need to address uh, address first and foremost are in-house. We've been fined how many times this season for absolute nonsenses? Are we the first club or the, will we be the last club to celebrate a last-minute winner with the substitutes getting involved off the side of the pitch? I don't think so. So I just, I just don't think it's a big deal. I just really don't. I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't see the fuss all about it. Um, Mark Denny says we're on their hit list because one of their own got sacked because of us. They'll do their best to take the spotlight off how terrible the refereeing has been seen, uh, has been this season. I've seen a lot of people say that Arsenal fans got Lee Mason sacked. No, Lee Mason got Lee Mason sacked because he isn't good enough at his job and he hasn't been for years and years and years. If that was one, one really high profile error that Lee Mason made, I would have been the first person to sit there and say, it happens. Human error. It happens. Genuinely, I'd have been the first person to say that, at least after the dust had settled. But no, Lee Mason has been at it for years and years and years. He's proven his incompetence time and time again and always got away with it. I actually applaud Howard Webb for coming in and looking at him and going, mate, you're not fit for purpose. See you later. That's what needs to happen across the board as far as the PGMOL is concerned, because there are too many referees in that organisation that are stealing a living. And then they've got the backup from the FA as well. Um, you know, the FA desperately trying to protect them all the time. It's, if they did their job well, 
by default, they would get more respect. And if they got more respect, by default, players would stop crossing the line. Managers would stop crossing the line. But it's the lack of respect that causes that. And the root cause of that lack of respect is that they're all incompetent. That's the real problem here. Uh, Gangle says, hi, Harry. Uh, greetings from Hungary. This is just a crazy story. Nobody wants Arsenal to be champions. Is this real? Out of four possible penalties, none of them were given. Kavanagh should be banned. I agree with you that the bigger problem was uh, was Chris Kavanagh's performance. Uh, John says, uh, ridiculous. Uh, Bruno shoved the linesman yesterday and nothing will happen to him. They need to get their priorities straight. Absolutely. Bruno Fernandes, we're going to come on to talk about that game uh, in a little bit. But he completely crossed the line, Bruno Fernandes. He... Um, he shoved the linesman out of the way. And at the time of recording this, as we're on here live, I've just had a notification on my phone from Sky Sports saying Bruno Fernandes will face no FA action for incident with assistant referee during Man United's 7-0 defeat at Liverpool. There it is. Bruno Fernandes will face no action. There will be no consequences for Manchester United's captain pushing a linesman out of the way but we want to fine Arsenal and we want to have a go at Arsenal because their substitutes that were standing pitch side at the time ran on to celebrate with the scorer of what could be a huge, huge goal in the context of their season. Unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. Honestly, you can't make this up. You you really can't. Uh, big hello to everybody who's joining us um, on the show a little bit later on as well. Fantastic to see uh, so many of you in the live chat. If you wouldn't mind leaving a like on the video, that would really, uh, really help. So please do so. I just want to bring you a quick update on Leandro Trossard uh, because um, obviously he limped off uh, with an injury at the weekend. And that was kind of the only uh, downer, I would say, um, on how things turned out on Saturday. Look, we went through the mill uh, we had uh, a really difficult afternoon. It ended in ecstasy. Uh, but when I did sort of sit down and sort of process everything that had happened, the kind of one dark cloud sort of hanging over that victory was, of course, the injury sustained by Leandro Trossard. Because since he's come in, I think he's had a real impact. You know, he's allowed us to freshen things up. He's given us a different option in the attack. I think he's going to be key. And I think especially with the Europa League now, uh, we really need him and we can ill afford uh, to lose uh, Leandro Trossard. But the the initial prognosis around Leandro Trossard's injury is a positive one. Um, the initial assessment, according to Simon Collings, is that uh, it's uh, positive news. He's likely to miss the game against Sporting, but the hope is that it's not a serious problem. Uh, there was uh, further assessment uh, of the issue due to take place today, uh, so we might hear about the outcome of that in the next few days, but some positive news in that it's not as bad as first feared. So hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. And I think it's even more important at the moment with uh, Eddie and Ketia, a doubt going into the sporting game as well. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed he's okay. But yeah, anyway, um, this whole thing with the FA, it, it's kind of like, it's mad, isn't it? Like, in a weird way, it fuels us, doesn't it? You know, like, I don't know about you guys, but in a way for me, it fires me up. It makes me want it even more. Uh, the fact that, um, that it seems like everybody's after us and, you know, you know that the world's gone mad and, and maybe older fans, uh, fans around my sort of age or, or older will, will sort of remember this better than some of our younger viewers or listeners. But you know that Arsenal have had a shit time with officials when Graham Pohl, 
former Premier League referee, Graham Pohl, of all people, is sitting sort of from his desk, conducting all sorts of interviews and talking about how Arsenal have once again been let down by the VAR. If you ever watched Graham Pohl referee an Arsenal game, you'd think that you've died and gone to heaven when you read his comments. But it just tells you all you need to know about the standard of officiating that we're coming across week in, week out. We're not the only club that have to deal with it. There are loads, everybody in this league. But for us, it just feels like at the moment, we're just going through every single game, looking at mad decision after mad decision. Brentford, you know, we were robbed of two points against Brentford. We played... um, Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You know, we played against uh, against Leicester City and we should have had a stonewall penalty um, given, not given. We also had a goal ruled out that probably wouldn't be ruled out in any other game. If you think about uh, what happened at the weekend, um, you know we, you know we we probably should have had at least two penalty kicks on Saturday as well. So you know we have been on the wrong end of these things. And, and when Graham Pohl talks about it, then you sit up and listen because Graham Pohl was as anti-Arsenal as they come. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, uh, we move on. We digress. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the the weekend uh, in general because there were some obviously very interesting games, some very interesting results. Uh, I'm going to share with you guys uh, my screen so that you can take a look at the scores uh, from the Premier League this weekend. Here we go. Uh, so we'll start off with uh, Southampton versus Leicester. Um, right at the bottom of the list. Uh, no, actually, let's do it in chronological order. It makes more sense. Manchester City beat Newcastle by two goals to nil. i got to be honest, I kind of went into the weekend quietly thinking that Newcastle could take something from Manchester City. I didn't have them down as winners. Um, I didn't think that was possible. I think that Newcastle are suffering from a lack of firepower at the moment. But I thought defensively, they could make life difficult for Manchester City in the way that they did to us and in the way that they've done to numerous other sides this year. So I figured that Newcastle had a chance of getting something. And I got to Emirates Stadium at 12.45 on Saturday. Um, Obviously, when you're working the game, you have to get in there early anyway, but I went especially early so I could watch as much of that game as possible. And I got into the ground after like, what was it? I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes or whatever it was. I think it was about 15 minutes. And um, and Phil Foden had already scored and Manchester City were already in front. So that was deflating, I have to be honest. 
Um, and then I kind of continued to watch the game as I was setting up my stuff and I sat in the media lounge at Arsenal and, you know, was watching it with, with great interest and felt like at the end of the first half, Newcastle were pressing for an equaliser, felt like they started the second half really well. And then bang, Ilkay Gundogan, um, sorry, I beg your pardon, Bernardo Silva um, scores a wonderful goal and basically kills off Newcastle. And at that point, I knew we absolutely uh, had to go out and win, um, uh, you know, on Saturday. And that's what kind of added, I think, to the emotion and the frustration that we felt uh, leading up to the goal. And then that all being released, uh, all in unison uh, within Emirates Stadium uh, at around about 4.56 p.m. or whatever it was. Um, taking it on to the three o'clock games, we've talked about the Arsenal game um, still flying high um, off the back of that one. But elsewhere, Aston Villa beat Crystal Palace by a goal to nil. I really like Crystal Palace. Um, I really like Patrick Vieira. I like what he's trying to do there. But they are in danger of getting dragged into um, the relegation fight. And and they've got to be careful, Crystal Palace. They're really lacking a goal scorer. There's a lot of reliance on Wilfred Zaha, and I worry for them. Uh, in that sense, I'm actually on commentary, full commentary uh, of their game against Manchester City uh, on Saturday evening. That's a 5.30 p.m. kickoff, that one. If you are uh, based in uh, the UK, you can get that on BBC Sounds by visiting the BBC uh, website. I think it will be on the Crystal Palace website as well, but I'm not 100 percent. I'll confirm those details later in the week. But if you want to follow that one on the radio. I'll be your commentator uh, for BBC Radio London. So I'm looking forward uh, to that one and you know who I'll be willing on. Uh, taking it on, uh, Brighton uh, made light work of West Ham, absolutely dismantled them uh, by beating them at 4-0. I'll tell you what, if Brighton won their three games in hand over Spurs, they'd be fourth right now, which is a testament to the job that Roberto De Zerbi's done. They've been fantastic it feels like he's added another dimension to Brighton. You know, we talked a lot about their attractive build-up play under Graham Potter, and rightly so. He deserves a lot of praise for sort of the foundations that he laid there, Graham Potter. But Roberto De Zerbi's come in and, for me, taken it to another level. And he's just made them more potent. He's he's brought, um, I think, a different dynamic to their attacking play. And I just think he's done a, an exceptional job there. And, you know... Obviously, Brighton aren't flavour of the month with us because of the whole Caicedo thing. Um, but it would be nice, wouldn't it, if a club that is run properly, that makes good managerial appointments, smart managerial appointments, that takes gambles on people, risks on people, in that they don't just go for what's fashionable. A club that recruit incredibly well, maybe don't, well, certainly don't have the finances of some of the bigger boys, but have been able to close that gap by being well run. And then to do that by playing really good football. I've, I remember always having these debates with my friends when they used to say, I used to say about managers like Pulis and, and, and Allardyce that I thought their styles were archaic and that they were well out of date. And people often used to say to me, yeah, but look at the group that they have. Look at the players they have. Look at the resource they have. What do you expect them to do? Well, a club like Brighton are proof that you can not just survive in this division, uh, by being good in your recruitment, but also playing a good brand of football. But you can thrive as well, because as I say, if they win their games in hand, Brighton would be in fourth above Spurs right now. So, yeah, they're a fantastic example for clubs to follow. They're, a, they're the blueprint, I think, that people uh, should follow. 
uh, when clubs of similar sizes come up into the Premier Division and are looking to, first of all, establish themselves, but then, of course, kick on. Chelsea won a game of football in the Premier League. That's not something that we've said every week, is it? But the uh, Blues beat Leeds set-piece goal for Fana, the scorer. Um, Graham Potter really needed that, didn't he? Like, really badly needed it. Um, they've got a massive uh, Champions League second leg coming up against Borussia Dortmund tomorrow as well, Tuesday, uh, if you're listening to this a little bit later on. And you just feel with Chelsea, like, there have been little signs of, of improvement in their performances in recent weeks. I think a lot of Chelsea fans will tell you that, but obviously the results haven't been coming and that has led to a panic, it's led to frustration. If Chelsea can turn that tie around and go through against Borussia Dortmund, which I don't think is impossible given they're at home uh, and given that they're, you know, they've got so much talent on their roster, if you like. I think if they could do that, if they could get over the line there, that could be a real uh, starting point for them, you know, a restarting point for them, a kick up the backside that they need. Because in my opinion, um, you know, the Champions League, some will look at it as a distraction. But actually, sometimes when you're in the mire and you're having a difficult time domestically, you need a distraction. You need some success elsewhere that breeds confidence. You need something that makes the players kind of wake up and go, you know what? We are much better than what we're showing at the moment. And everybody knows that in terms of the talent they have at their disposal, they're a much better side than what the Premier League table suggests. You know, and, and Graham Potter's been questioned, and I think rightly so, and I think you know, ultimately the manager will always be responsible for the results. But, you know, there's been a lot of change at Chelsea Football Club. I, I don't necessarily think that sacking Graham Potter is the answer. Do I think there were other managers out there that could have come in and, and done a better job earlier on? Yeah, I do. But Chelsea want to go long term. They've shown that not just in the hiring of Graham Potter, but in their recruitment strategy as well, offering people seven, eight, nine year contracts. They are looking to build something for the future. The problem is, is that Graham Potter hasn't given them any signs so far that he's the man to be entrusted with taking them into this future period. So, yeah, um, he's rightfully under pressure. But I, I, I just I'm reluctant to put it all on Graham Potter when I think that he doesn't have much control over transfers. He doesn't have a lot of say in that. Um, he's got an overbloated squad to deal with. He's clearly got problematic characters behind the scenes as well. Um, surprise, surprise that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's found himself uh, out in the cold. But yeah, um, I just don't want to put it all on Graham Potter. That's that's my point. Uh, Wolves won Spurs nil, another result that I enjoyed. Um, listen, Wolves under Julian Lopetegui have quietly been getting better and better and better. Spurs, on the other hand, they're just so uninspiring. Uh, you know, this whole Antonio Conte thing, he's been away, he's been unwell. I understand all of that. And I, I genuinely do wish him all the best in terms of his health. Um, uh, you know, it's not personal. I just He's a Spurs manager, isn't he? I'm not going to wish him well in football. But um, on a personal level, you know, I hope he does return to fitness and, and health, good health, because he's one of the better managers in European football. I, I loved Antonio Conte before he went there. And then I had to switch off from him. Uh, but yeah, I just I just think um I just think with Spurs, this is just heading towards the edge of a cliff. So you've got this team that are a little bit lost in terms of their identity. They've made signings that didn't really work out. Uh, and Antonio Conte for me comes across as someone that knows he has gone 
uh, come the end of the season. And whether that's his decision or the club's decision, I don't know yet. Um, he, he's They're heading off the edge of a cliff. Now, you could argue that being in fourth place right now is an overachievement based on everything that's going on at the football club. You could argue that them finishing fourth last season was an overachievement. I think it was. And so Antonio Conte would turn around and say, I'm in fourth now with what? 25 26 games on the board which is the absolute maximum of what I could possibly achieve with this team I'm in that position now and I achieved that position last season so generally speaking I've done a good job but there was obviously that FA Cup defeat at the hands of Sheffield United in the week that's added to the pressure and then to go to Wolves and get beaten Wolves who are definitely in a relegation fight as things stand at the moment it's um yeah it's it's problematic for them isn't it and they need a reset. They need a reboot. I've been saying this for years about Spurs and uh, they just need to make that happen sooner rather than later. And unfortunately, they're in this position now where they won't sack Antonio Conte, uh, probably because they think he might get them into the Champions League, but equally because they'd have to pay him out. Uh, so this is just going to continue, continue. They'll be inconsistent up and down. Will it be enough to get in the top four come the end of the season? Who knows? It depends on what happens uh, around them. Southampton got a big win uh, over Leicester City. They won by a goal to nil. Leicester City, so inconsistent this season. And Southampton, one week looked absolutely dreadful and the next week looked like they actually stand a chance of surviving. I don't know what to make of them, especially under this new boss, uh, but that was a big win at St Mary's for the Saints. Nottingham Forest on Sunday uh, drew 2-2 with Everton. They came from behind twice. Uh, Everton looked at one stage as though they were going to get a massive victory against a club that you could also class as being in the relegation fight. But Everton surrendered the lead twice. Maybe we're slightly lucky not to lose it as well um, from what I saw of the game. I was in and out of it, I must admit. But Nottingham Forest looked like they were pushing and pressing in that second half and, and might have uh, found the winner if anybody was going to. And then we come on to the headline game of the weekend. Huge fixture, massive clash, two old rivals, Liverpool versus Man United. There's me sitting, this is going to be sitting there thinking this is going to be a difficult cagey affair. And instead, it was the complete opposite. Man United fans clinching onto the fact that they played okay for a, a short period in the first half. That's what they said against Arsenal as well. And, and it was them who was on the other end of it that time, uh, not playing very well in scoring goals. Liverpool did get the breakthrough through Cody Gakpo. And then from then on, it was a mauling. It was an absolute, absolute mauling. Manchester United are back. No, they're not. Manchester United are in the title race. No, they are not. Manchester United um, are still very much a work in progress. Now, I don't seek to discredit all of the work that Eric Ten Hag's done this season. They've already won a trophy and they are moving in the right direction, generally speaking. But they were nothing short of embarrassing at Anfield at the weekend. And that has to be said. I thought Ten Hag got it wrong. Um, I thought his decision to play Dallow over Wan-Bissaka was wrong. I thought his decision to use Valt Weghorst in that number 10 role because it worked against the Barcelona side that played a very different game was wrong. Um, and Liverpool were able to really cause them problems in between the lines. Gakpo and Nunez, who have been criticised since coming into the club, both stepped up to the mark, both contributed. That second finish, I mean, the first one was splendid as well, but the second finish from Gakpo to dink it over De Gea from that angle and find the far post was sensational. Um, 
Mo Salah as well, breaking the Liverpool Premier League goal-scoring record, very much deserved. I'm not a big Liverpool fan, obviously. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of Mo Salah's either, but you have to give credit where it's due. And that's an incredible record when you think of some of the other names that were on that list uh, for him to now hold. But United, I mean, if I were a United fan, I'd be in hiding now. I think, generally speaking, I'd, I think I'd be in hiding. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, an absolute disgrace. Um not just the shove on the linesman that we talked about earlier on, but just his attitude, his petulance, his unwillingness to run back and defend and help his teammates out when he's lost the ball. He just, to me, he's just how it's just like having a child in your midfield who throws his toys out the pram when he doesn't get what he asks for from mummy. Like it's, it's so bad. It is so bad. And I think a club like Manchester United putting my Arsenal allegiances to one side cannot tolerate a captain behaving in that way. And shouldn't tolerate a captain behaving in that way. I just think he was so, so poor. Um, you know, there were a lot of performers in that team that were very bad. You know, the two centre-halves, Varane and Martinez. Best centre-back pairing in the Premier League, I'm told. Um, Arsenal were idiots not to sign Lissandro Martinez, not to go that extra mile that Manchester United did. Anthony, who's got the same number of Premier League goals as Reese Nelson, despite Nelson only playing 94 minutes all season. Um, you know, they, they overpaid massively for players that just haven't done it yet. And maybe they will go on to be impressive players. You could put Jaden Sancho in that category as well of players that they've overpaid for. Forgive me when I don't have sympathy for Manchester United. They spend an absolute fortune year in, year out. And, um, and they're still nowhere near. You do not go and get beaten 7-0 at Anfield. And I promise you, if that happens to Arsenal in a few weeks' time, you will hear me say the exact same things because you just don't do that at this level. You just cannot afford to let that happen. And the impressive thing about Liverpool, I guess, was that they were relentless. You know, they went 3-0 up, for example, and they could have taken their foot off the gas. And instead, they continued to push and press and push and harry and hassle. And, and they went for the throats of Manchester United and they absolutely killed them off. It was a massacre, an absolute massacre. So let's have a look at the Premier League table and how things stand at the moment, uh, off the back of those results, so of course, the Gunners uh, remain top of the pile on 26 games along with Manchester City. So 12 games to go uh, for the two sides uh, sitting in first and second. And there is a five point gap between Arsenal and Manchester City. Um, of course, the Gunners take on Fulham next uh, at Craven Cottage. That's going to be a difficult game. But Manchester City also go to uh, Selhurst Park, another part of London in which it's notoriously difficult. Uh, Manchester United sit in third, but they are now nine points uh, behind uh, Manchester City, although they do have a game in hand. Spurs are in fourth on 45 points. Liverpool now just three points behind Spurs with a game in hand. So Liverpool could well uh, be on their way to uh, breaking back into that top four. Uh, Fulham and Brentford take on each other tonight. Newcastle down into sixth. Now it feels like they're fading away just a little bit. Chelsea still in mid-table in 10th. And if we take it down to the bottom, well, Bournemouth uh, remain rooted to the foot of the table and it doesn't get any easier for them because they play Liverpool next. Uh, Southampton in 19th, despite winning uh, at the weekend, um, still are a point adrift of safety. They take on Manchester United next. Uh, if you look at the gap between Bournemouth, who are in 20th, and you go all the way up to Crystal Palace in 12th, there's only six points separating those you know, eight sides. 
it's it's mad. Anyone can go down. It's such an interesting uh, battle down at the bottom. Uh, then you've got that little mid-table section, which includes uh, sort of, I would say, Aston Villa, Chelsea. Um, and then you're talking European places uh, above that. So there's still so much to play for in this season's Premier League. But I'll leave that there on the screen for those of you watching. Arsenal sitting pretty at the top of the Premier League. That is what we like to see. Uh, I am going to leave it there. But um, I'll be back uh, with you guys tomorrow for another edition of the uh, podcast. We'll be having a look ahead to the game against Sporting Lisbon. Uh, we'll be bringing you a live watch along of that game as well, which I'm very, very much looking forward to. Uh, and then we'll be bringing you post-match uh, reaction after that uh, watch along has ended as well. So plenty of content coming your way. And then on Friday morning, uh, we will be, of course, building up towards uh, Arsenal's trip to Fulham on Sunday. So it's coming thick and fast. The games are coming thick and fast. That means the content is coming thick and fast. Thank you all uh, so, so much um, for your support. Really, really appreciate it. I can't believe how many people have listened to uh, the podcast that we produced off the back of the Bournemouth game. Uh, I think on audio alone, so not including the 6,000 odd views that we got on YouTube, I think we're going to hit uh, 10,000 downloads on that one episode. Um, across the board on the other platforms as well, which is mind-blowing. So thank you. It's amazing how many of you support this show and support me uh, in living my dream. Is it quite the dream? doesn't always feel like it, but look, it is, man. I talk about Arsenal for a living. Man. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? Apart from scoring 97th-minute winners. Maybe then I'd say it was better, but yeah, no, I'm absolutely loving it. And it's all thanks to you guys. So thank you for your incredible support. And I will see you all uh, very, very soon with more content. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.